Hey folks, Adam B. Levine here. Starting next week, we'll be moving our episode release date to Saturdays instead of Sundays. This is part of a larger rework that we're signing papers on imminently and which has been in the works for over a year now. So next week, we'll be back with a new episode on Taproot Revisited. But this time, I'm pleased to present the second correspondence segment from my good friend, George Frankly. And don't worry, this one isn't about baseball. Thanks for listening. Hello there. I'm George Franklin, and I'm going to take a look at how even the best and brightest people can make truly stupid decisions and terrible predictions, and what we can learn from them. This is Dare to be Stupid. This time on Dare to be Stupid, samples, survivors, and selections, or how honest numbers learn to lie. Last time I told you about an insular corporate culture that was closed off to new ideas. That's right, The Simpsons, post-2000. But after that, I talked about baseball for a few minutes. Major League Baseball had entered a vicious cycle. Back office roles were hired, promoted, and trained from within to the point that old bad habits would ossify into traditional wisdom. An entire corporate culture had learned to look at ostensibly real events and real numbers and draw totally unreal conclusions. So, I ask you, how is an elderly baseball talent scout just like a bullet-riddled World War II-era B-29 bomber? Stop me if you've heard this one. Or don't, I'm pre-recorded. At the height of World War II, the U.S. Navy was looking at their experiences with air combat up to that point and set out to make some improvements. Specifically, they wanted to up-armor and reinforce bomber planes for better survivability. To that end, they recruited engineers and researchers to look over battle-damaged planes and recommend the most effective upgrades. As the possible legend goes, the answer was cut and dry. All of the damaged planes they had to examine had clear issues in common. A few very particular areas of the wings and very specific sections of the fuselage had come back absolutely perforated by bullets on every plane. And the rest of the plane's bodies were only sparsely hit, if at all. On all of the planes they looked at, these were the key areas where shots were repeatedly landing. The analysts agreed that these areas, clearly the ones most shot at, should receive supplemental armor. But Columbia University statistician Abraham Wald famously disagreed and said that any reinforcement of the plane should be focused on those areas not utterly riddled with bullets. Listening to this story, you might have already realized why. In this story, most of the observers looked at the data they had and derived a logical conclusion from it. Only a few observers, Wald in particular, thought about the data they didn't have. See, the rest of them were treating all the data they had as all the data there was, Wald had to remind them that the only planes they had were the planes that actually returned, the survivors. Without the shot-down planes to compare, they needed to change their assumptions. The planes they actually had available to look at were not examples of typical damage, they were examples of survivable damage. These were the areas that could take a beating and still make it home. Armor improvements should be placed elsewhere. Now, this is the point in the story where all of us listening slap our collective foreheads and say in unison, Of course! It's so obvious now! It's a good thing those chumps had an expert on hand to straighten them out, and then quietly guess whether we would have been the expert or the chump in that moment. There are no chumps in the story. There were a variety of professionals with a variety of experiences and a host of common human malfunctions between them. The survivorship bias is just one of many sampling errors that the human mind is very bad at identifying. Major League Baseball had this blind spot for years. Hundreds of thousands of people dream of making it in the big leagues, and precious few actually do. Those few survivors would become scouts and managers and make predictions based on their own experiences, the experiences of the lowest probability outliers in the business. When survivors are the exception, you don't use them to define the rules. 
Selection and sampling errors occur when we assume the data we have fairly represents all of the data there is. Are. Data there are. Data there is? You know what? Moving on. When you gather data from survivors, you're not gathering representative data. It sounds obvious, but our minds struggle with it. Our brains don't just jump to conclusions. They create entire narratives before we've even put real conscious thought into the problem. We see only what's right in front of us, and our brains take off and run with it. It isn't just survivorship that does this. Sampling errors are a massive black hole in our judgment, even when we are given complete data. Take an example made famous in Daniel Kahneman's seminal book, Thinking Fast and Slow. You are given an enormous set of all medical statistics for every county in the United States, and you find that the lowest rates of kidney cancer tend to occur in extremely rural, sparsely populated, and traditionally Republican-leaning counties. If you're left alone with that thought for more than a few seconds, you will instinctively start to theorize and construct narratives about how the lifestyle in those areas affects an individual's health. Perhaps they're more active, better hydrated, less cell phone radiation, less chemtrails, less run-ins with reptilian humanoids, the list goes on. But now couple that with a second observation from the same data. The counties with, instead, the highest rates of kidney cancer are predominantly rural, sparsely populated, and traditionally Republican-leaning. That is, indeed, a conclusion from the same set of data, and for many people it sounds like nonsense. They were just told that those counties had low rates of cancer. But were they told that? Were you? You were told that the lowest rates in the country happened in rural counties. The highest rates in the country also happen in rural counties, but not the same counties. Urban counties trend towards the median rate. None of these points contradict. The actual revelation to take away from this data isn't something about the paradoxes of country living. The real statistic here is that rural areas, being sparsely populated, have more extreme averages, thanks to the higher weight placed on their fewer samples. Urban centers have massive population sizes, and with massive sample size comes more representative data. The smaller the sample size, the more heavily a few outliers can weigh down the average. These two statistics were a non-reveal, with nothing more to prove than rural areas are less populated. But without context, our minds build stories around these numbers and transform them into dangerously believable quote-unquote facts. We're so sure that numbers can't lie that we forget they can omit. We're so sure that numbers can't lie that we forget humans can lie and will lie to ourselves. True numbers will tell us plenty of lies if we're quick to chase down answers. When you're faced with new numbers, look for new questions. Ask about what you aren't seeing. Don't assume enemy fighters are shooting at a particular spot. Instead, ask why they're missing the rest. Don't just look at the highest rates of disease. Look for the lowest rates and see where those numbers take you. A number is not a statistic. Statistics are their context. Statistics need to be upfront about where they came from, who they sampled, and who did the work. A statistic without context is just a number with delusions of grandeur. It'll tell you whatever you want to hear if you're willing to listen. Thanks for listening. As always, I'd like to remind you that nearly all of my illustrious job titles come with the prefix armchair. If you're an expert and you're hearing me get something wrong, I'd like to hear from you. And if you have feedback for George, you can leave us a message at speakingofbitcoin.show. You can leave us a voice message over there. Somebody did the other day and we'll be talking about it on an episode soon. Or you can send me an email at adam at speakingofbitcoin.show and I will get it to George. Until next week, thanks for listening.